is a Woodside Church podcast. Hello everyone, welcome, welcome. I tell you what, there is genuinely nothing better than sitting down at the front as a preacher and knowing that God has preached your whole message through everyone in the congregation. You just go, well, this is amazing. We could just sit here and listen to God for ages. Um, that was a comfort to, brought to me this morning. We are going back into our 1 Samuel series. We're looking at 1 Samuel 30. And essentially the premise of this chapter is that God gives strength to those who need it. Which, which, I mean, fantastic. I'm now done, so we can leave, all go home and enjoy the rest of our day. Um, we're going to approach that. But just before I start, I want to say a few thank yous. This week has been a big week in my, in my life so far. This week I finished university. Um, so that was really exciting. And for those who don't know me, I, I have studied, I'm not studying, I have finished studying youth work and theology. I've been doing so whilst being having a work placement here, as well as a charity in town, in the town centre. And it's been a journey. For those of you who have lent me books, thank you very much for Debs and people like that sat in the office who have just listened to my theological mind dumps and rants and everything like that. Thank you to you guys. Um, for those of you who have sent me emails and texts over the last few weeks when my deadlines are, I'm sorry. I'll get to those on Monday. Um, but it was a big moment. And um, I know that there's been lots of support and prayer and everything from all this family and the family in Great Denham. Um, so I want to say thank you. I wanted to share that moment with you. Um, it was... It's bit, I am tired, but... It's been, it's been a really cool f- few years, and actually I think it's equipped us really well. Just to also to the youth, I know it's your second week in the, in the main meeting, in the, adult, in the adult meeting, but hopefully you think I'm kind of engaging. If you don't, we have a wider issue. Um, but I promise we'll be back next week, and hopefully this will be helpful, because this is what we will be doing in the youth work this morning as well. Um, so we're looking at 1 Samuel 30, and the last time I preached, actually, I overviewed the whole series. I wasn't here, I was in Great Denham, um, but we set out however many weeks ago, it must be like 20 weeks ago, we set out at the start of 1 Samuel, and I was really excited just to all together, just deep dive into a book, go through chapter by chapter, and I think it's been pretty good. But fortunately, because you guys weren't really there in Great Denham, it also means I can use the first two minutes of my preach last time for this one. So... I'm going to do that, but I think I'm doing it because I think actually when we look at the Old Testament, having context is really, really important for us to understand the real meaning. And we're going to start by looking at a definition of what we'd call biblical theology. And biblical theology is essentially um, the tracking of a story all the way through. I know that might be a little bit small, but I'm going to read it out slowly for us. And this says, the immediate appeal of biblical theology to preachers, teachers, And Christians is that it provides a big picture that makes sense out of the bewildering bulk and variety of biblical literature. It seeks to view the whole scene of God's revelation from the heights to mount up with eagle's wings and allow God to show us his one mighty plan from creation to new creation. When the Bible ceases to be a mass of unconnected stories and other bits of writing and begins to look like a unity that connects the narratives of Israel with those of the four Gospels that shows up the progression from the creation to the new creation and highlights the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the main focus of the whole Bible, people usually sit up and take notice. If the Bible is indeed the one word of the one God about the one way of salvation through the one Saviour, Jesus Christ, is biblical theology that will reveal this to us. 
that's exciting, right? Not only are we looking at individual narratives through the book of 1 Samuel, but actually we're looking about how it all fits in the whole narrative of the, of the Bible. And let me tell you now, it does fit. That is good news to us today. It does fit. Um, and so really for biblical theology, what we're being asked to do, we've got a little timeline kind of stuff coming out. We're, we need to look at where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. And essentially, one whole specific idea, although there will be a few different ideas, will track all the way through our narrative. And 1 Samuel is a really interesting place for this because it talks about David, who we're going to be looking at as the, as the transition of king. And there's loads of transitions of king, kings. And this reveals so much to us. But for biblical theology, this next slide will be scary, but don't worry. I'm going to look at the first bit of Matthew, the first book of Matthew. Now, that's a scary start, right? This is the book that really documents the life of Jesus, who that definition said was the focus of the Bible. Um, and this is how they start the story. They don't say what's happening. They have, they've covered all of where we've been all the thousands of the year beforehand. There's a clear line, and it's, the line starts with, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And then finishes with Mahan, who was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Starts with where we've been, and it tracks with where we're going, and actually that Jesus is the one that eternally sits on the throne. And all the way in the middle for us today, there is a line that says, Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the mother of Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. That's, that, for me, instantly, is pretty cool. It's documenting the whole story of where we've been, and if we flick onto, ah, hang on, not flick over, I've just remembered something else. This whole line that we're looking at, for me, this is exciting because it's what biblical theology is talking about. It gives us context from where we've been to where we are, and we go look at where we're going. And that makes me sit up and take notice, like that quote says. It just, the span of the story just absolutely blows my mind. And so I'm just going to pray for us before we get into the book and the chapter, and we're going to see what we can find from this. Lord, I thank you that the, the narrative of the Bible is one massive story, that there was a goal at the start, and that was achieved at the end. And Lord, what a pleasure it is to just be a small part of this story. And even though there's so many different things in our lives that interlinked together, Lord, we're grateful to be part of a massive one, one that is focused on relationship restoration. Lord, we thank you for all the generations that have come before us, that have guided us to where we are now. Lord, we just pray this morning that we hear your word. I mean, we already have, Lord, but we just pray we hear more and more of your words this morning. Speak to us on the areas that we need to hear, Lord. And we just pray that you use me, use my words just to bless the people in this room, bless this family around us, and that we have a good rest of the morning together. Amen. So, we are looking at 1 Samuel, and just to go on to the next timeline, we, 1 Samuel is the second, at the, the Bible though starts with creation and the Garden of Eden, where Jesus' victory is ultimately, people believe, is ultimately prophesied. Oh, the red's a bit small. That just says Genesis 3.15, by the way, if you're wondering the verse reference for that. And that's where Jesus' victory is originally prophesied. Um, and then it moves on to 1 Samuel, where we see Saul and then David on the throne. So this throne is transitioning what we saw at the start of Matthew. 
it takes us on to the book of Acts and the gospel is where actually God is on the throne. The victory that was prophesied at the start is won on the cross through Jesus' life, death and resurrection and looking at where we're going, where we are, it goes to our lives. God is still on the throne. This is the context of 1 Samuel and actually there's a, there's a theme that goes all the way through. The victory that was prophesied, the, vict- the throne that went through, the victory that was won and the impact for us going through all eternity. This is an important context for 1 Samuel as we look at that today. And what's really, really comforting to me is that the victory that was won and the person who's now on the throne is Jesus. And that came through all the way through our worship time. Jesus who supports us, God who gives us strength, brings us through difficult times, literally grabs our hand and walks with us. That's the one who won the victory and that's the one that will eternally be on the throne. It was planned from the start, and it's happened, and now we're living in the gloriousness of that. And just to re-emphasize this, I just want to look at Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. It's a verse we'll all know from Christmas services. And this was a prophecy. This was before the victory happened. This is saying who Jesus is going to be in. It's for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David, which we're going to look at, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. God is on the throne. He's ruling for eternity. His victory is complete, and that will never change. That's what I want us to base our whole morning on this morning. And it also says that is from the line of David, who we're looking at specifically. This is already all linked together, linking together biblical theology. If we just looked at 1 Samuel, we wouldn't get the scope of the commitment of God and the covenant he's given to us, to his people, which is important. And the God we're about to read more in detail about is the one that strengthened David in the story, but is also, I believe, is going to give us strength this morning, for the next day, for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, and for the rest of our lives. And this is something we should take faith from. That's for me, is really exciting. So that's just a bit of a base for us to work from. And we're now just going to look at an overview of 1 Samuel 30. And loads of stuff happened. We're going to actually read some of the text later on. But just to give you a little bit of a summary of 1 Samuel 30, um, I've got a few points. It says, the first point of 1 Samuel 30 is that there was a contrasting battle where Saul's victory, where Saul's battle was incomplete, but David's was definitive. There's instantly a comparison, which we've seen all the way through 1 Samuel, between Saul and David. David being the one to, to take on, to set the throne out. His victory was definitive. We're going to see that it was complete. There was nothing that limited David's victory, and that links to Jesus. Who else's his victory was complete? Jesus, and it resulted in relationship restoration. We also look at David's victory and in his heroism, equity, and generosity, David's victory is clearly labeled as God's doing. He didn't win the victory that we're about to read about and then go, I'm the best, I'm in charge. It pointed towards Jesus. It pointed towards God. It wasn't just a win, it was equal and it was generous. And we're about to read what that looks like. Again, this definitive victory is the first natural recognition of David as king. 
when this happened, when this full victory happened, people began to realize who David was. If we think about Jesus, when he died on the cross, when that ultimate victory happened, what did the guards say? Surely this is the son of God. When ultimate victory happens, wherever we look in the narrative, it's to do with identity. And this is again pointing to Jesus. David is, David is about to win this battle, and it's the first recognition that we start to see of him as king. But what's also really, really exciting about this is David's, David ensured the victory, but he also ensured that it was shared with those who didn't even partake in the battle. We'll read in a second that there was 200 men that got exhausted and couldn't go on to the actual battlefield. And when David returned, David said, no, this victory is for everyone. In other words, if you think about Jesus again, Jesus partook in this warfare, in this, in this battle, and he won the victory. And who gets to live in that? Who, get, who is that shared with? That's us. We get to share in the victory of Jesus. And this is represented in David and his victory. And he ensures that it's shared with everyone. No one is not included. And then finally, the complete victory ensured every relationship was restored. What triggered this battle is that a group of people came in and captured all the wives and the children of the men that were already away at another battle. And as David won, they actually brought back all the wives and the children and everyone else that was captured. And the Bible says there were no exceptions. Everyone was restored. That means that all relationships were able to be restored. Again, sound familiar? With a win, with a victorious battle, and the result of relationship restoration. This is an individual narrative, but when we expand it, it actually represents so much more of where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Actually, Jesus' victory on the cross means that we can have relationship with Him. Ultimately, that is what what we see will strengthen us and what will fuel us and what will help us walk through everything that is facing. And that's really important, our relationship with God. And so we can look at the individual narrative and go, this is really cool, but we can look at the individual narrative in the big narrative and go, okay, I'm standing up and taking notice now because there's too many coincidences for this to be a coincidence. That for me is really exciting. And that's an overview of really what we see through one Samuel. But really, I want to focus on a little bit now, and I'm looking at the area where it says the military of the story were exhausted and they needed endurance from God. Okay? And we're gonna, I'm going to read a little bit from the scripture. I'm sorry it's not on the screen. This is my bad. I've just been a bit busy, and I realized I wanted to add this in last minute. But I'm going to read it slowly. And if you want to have a look at it on your phones or in your Bibles, it is 1 Samuel 30, verse 9. And I'll read it really slowly for us. And it says, So David and his 600 men set out, and they came back to Brook Bezor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some, bre some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and three nights. Before long, his strength returned. Jumping to verse 21, it then says, Then David returned to Brook Bezor with the, and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers 
among David's men said, they didn't go with us. So they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. That's kind of what we saw in our overview. But what I find really encouraging about this, it talks about strengthening ourselves on multiple levels. First of all, the 400 men that were going to battle, they found an Egyptian man who actually, culturally, probably shouldn't have helped them. In fact, to help them, he made them promise they weren't going to kill him. And this is a really practical help, a really practical strengthening, because they gave him, what did they give him? They gave him some bread to eat, some water to drink, a fig cake, and two clusters of raisins. See, what we're going to be talking about this morning is a strengthening for us on multiple levels, all given by God. And this group of men that are about to go to battle are the family of God. They are the Christian community in this part of the day. And so for us, really, I can look around and say, actually, first of all, as a community, we are to be people that practically strengthen each other. Like someone saying, hold their hand and walk us through. You can do it. Even the most simple, simple stuff. Gave them some bread and water. And a bit more exciting, clusters of raisins. If you find raisins exciting, I guess that might strengthen you as well. But really practically, that's the first strengthening we see. And it says, before long, his strength returned. We also see, although it's not detailed in the story, that the army has gone down from 600 to 400. And I don't know, if I was a leader of an army, which I don't have experience in, if I was going into a battle with 600 men and thought, okay, maybe we might win, if I got knocked down to 400, I'd go, oh, this might be a bit more tough now. There was going to be, there is inevitably, because they won the battle, a strengthening of those 400 men to go in and win. And as we know, the, vi the battle was completely victorious. There was nothing left to conquer. There was clearly a strengthening of them, and I would go as far as to speculate that it was a spiritual strengthening, which we actually see detailed later on in the story. And I was thinking about how we can have a really good analogy of strengthening the Lord, and the best thing I could think of was my brain was heavy in uni work is a seesaw. And it's a good and a bad analogy, and no one will ever come to a stage with a bad analogy, but it's a good and a bad one. So I'm going to explain my thinking behind this. If you are standing on one end of the seesaw and you're really low, what does it take for, some, for you to go, be lifted upwards? It takes other stuff on the other side. Someone can do something here, and I should have bought a seesaw. That would have been way more fun. And they would be lifted up, and you are being lifted up, I guess, is a representation of strengthening. That is what can happen for us when we are empowered by our church family, by our Christian community. However, the gloriousness of God is that because everyone is strengthened, no one is going to be down on this side for too long. Sometimes there's a sacrifice to supporting each other and strengthening each other, which might mean maybe we have a little bit less money or we have a few less things to eat or share. But ultimately, because we're God's family and we all strengthen each other because God strengthens us originally, no one's going to be at this end of the seesaw for too long. But we can ensure that our role is to lift everyone up. That's why it's both a really good analogy, but also a little bit of a bad analogy. But I think that helps us ground what practically this looks like um, in a Christian community. 
And really, I want to be, as the youth worker, I want to be someone that lifts other people up, that lifts all our young people up through their exam period. What can we do? We can give them, we can make sure they have revision timetables, we can make sure they have breakfast bars to eat for breakfast before they go. Practically, we can provide, but also our role is to spiritually lift them up and point them towards our Father. There was words about a race. How can we equip each other to fix our eyes on Jesus? There's, a, there's multiple levels in which we can strengthen each other. And we can do that. Wow, time is really gone. What time did I start? 11? Something like that? Okay, that's fine. We can go quickly. Sorry. We can strengthen each other, but ultimately what this is talking about is getting strength from God. Okay? And we go look at a few of the characters. So we go look at David first, and this is how David strengthened himself in the Lord. It says... When David and his men saw the ruins and realized that what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives were were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter and losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Just say, I did practice saying the names, but I just went so blank there, I'm sorry. But what's important is that it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. So for context, they've just come from probably what was a 60-mile walk from another battle, and they've just realized that their whole livelihoods, all their families have been captured and gone. And you can imagine, well, I can't even imagine what that feels like. One having to do a 60-mile walk, exhausted, and then you come back, and it's all gone. I mean, that is, that is tough. And I know that for loads of people in the room, there'll be things right now that feel like it just keeps on coming. One thing after another. But the, the last sentence is important. It says, but David found strength in his God. We're going to look at his in a second. That's really important. But David looked to God, even when the people around him were threatening to stone him, and he was strengthened. We've already seen that the army, even though they lost 200 men, were strengthened in God, and it says, then David returns to Brookbezor, met with 200 men, and he had been left behind because they were too exhausted. But they went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. They equipped each other, they strengthened each other. But if we bring this into a wider context of the story, we also see, which is really comforting, Jesus strengthening himself in the Lord. It says, for him, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Jesus strengthened himself in God through the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needs strengthening in God, then we all need strengthening in God. But it's comforting because the Holy Spirit is what is with us today. That's a gift that Jesus left, and Jesus strengthened himself in that, and so we should too. And for us, I've picked a verse that says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along along with you, to stand firm in Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. Just to stand firm, it is God who is with us. 
And you'll realize from all these things, although David's passage doesn't specifically say it, it all comes from relationship. The relationship that we know at the start of the story was prophesied to be restored and happened in the Gospels. It's all able to talk to God because our relationship is restored. Uh, Stephen, just because of time, we're going to skip to the bit that says finding strength in the Lord. Um, Just because I want to get to this point. Throughout this narrative, we have seen undertones of the victorious battle leading us towards restoration of relationships. And we know that in the wider narrative, God being eternally on the throne is a signifier that makes those relationships for us possible with the Father. And whilst it could be anything, I, in reading this chapter all the way through 1 Samuel, believe that it is best, we best strengthen ourselves through relationship. David said he found strength in the Lord his God. First of all, it's about identifying who is our Lord. If the next one, the R, is highlighted. Ultimately, we can go to loads of different things to strengthen us. But ultimately, to find strength, we have to go to our Lord, our being the one we are in relationship with. That, revo- that requires a little bit of intentionality from us to seek that out. But R is really important. I want you to remember that we're going to our Lord. And just as we come into close, as I was researching this, I was thinking, how can I leave them with something to equip them? And I love an acrostic poem because it makes young people remember things. So we're going to do an acrostic poem together, which I find really exciting. It doesn't really flow. It says it's A-P-T-A-T, so aptat if you want to, if you want to remember that. But the, the model that it gives us I believe, will really equip us to process what we're going through, our hard times, but also just be in relationship with God. And we're going to go through it now. The A stands for admit. And here it's twofold. Firstly, just admit is a little bit of a strange word in our current culture, but I believe it's the right word because, firstly, there is something about recognition that the scenario often is out of our hands that we are in. But more importantly, it emphasizes relationship. Often in times of struggle, I found my first step is actually admitting to God that I'm struggling. Because we often go in the fight or flight mode where we just go, 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 go. Ultimately, it's about going, Father, in your quiet times, Father, I'm really struggling with this. There's an admittance and that intimacy is something that I believe comes from relationship. It shouldn't be a guilt thing, but it's a relational honesty thing. And going, Father, I need you. I can't do this alone. There's an admittance to that. The next thing, which perhaps is more of something we might jump to straight away, is to pray. Off the back of admitting that I can't do this by myself anymore, even though I've likely tried, it's about praying and saying, God, I can't do anything here. I can't do much here. I just need your breakthrough. I pray that you are with me. And within that, kind of as a sub-point, Trusting is really important, and it, it can be difficult. I don't want to be up here and pretend that trusting in God when we need strengthening is easy. Because often, if we're honest, it can feel like trust is completely lost, and I've gone on a whole journey of trust. But there is a position of faith to take, that not only will God act within the situation, but also that God will work within you, within me, 
and will strengthen us. We can look back on passages in the Bible and see, I know that God has strengthened his people all the way through eternity and that God doesn't change so that it's going to be no different now. Trusting that God is with us and will act, but also that he will help us and support us and strengthen us. The next letter stands for act. Sometimes God may ask us to do a specific task in helping someone else or even ourselves in our suffering. But also, it emphasizes relationship and community again. Okay? The good news is that within the family of God, we should always be surrounded by people that are ready to help us act and act for each other. And um, I was at university last week, and there's loads of trees. We go to like a retreat center, and there's loads of trees. And the trees that are there, I was, being, I was with one of the people that stay there all the time, as you say, and they're telling me about how their roots don't go deep. They're really tall. The roots of these trees don't go deep, but they spread wide. And because they're next to each other, the roots interlink and strengthen each other that way. Normally, we'd assume that they're really deep if they're really tall, but they go wide. And I was like, actually, that's really interesting for us. In acting, we can support each other. And if we all do small acts that strengthen each other, how strong will our whole community and our whole group of trees be? We do have to have roots that go deep in God and in truth. But ultimately, if they spread wide, they're gonna, we're going to stay strong for a very long time. Yeah, does that make sense? And finally, T. Finishing with thanks is something that we learn all the way from kids' work, and we should keep all the way up. There's a position of thankfulness that we see even all the way through the Psalms that even in times of struggle, we need to take. And it's always good, I believe, to finish with thankfulness. I'm just going to read this quote, and then we're going to respond together. And this is from John. This is based on a model by John Piper, by the way. I didn't say that at the start, but so it's decent stuff. Um, John Piper says, I think the middle T is all important. Trust is a promise. This is a step I think is missing in most Christians' attempts to live the Christian life. It is certainly my most common mistake. Most of us face a difficult task and remember to say, help me, God, I need you. But then we move straight from P to A, pray to act. We pray and then we act, but this robs us of a very powerful step. After we pray for God's help, we should remain ourselves of a specific promise, remind ourselves of a specific promise that God has made and fix our minds on it and put our faith in it and say to God, I believe you, help my unbelief, increase my faith in this promise. I'm trusting you, Lord. Here I go. Then act. I think trusting is really important for us and actually that comes from promises. And what's, what's really helpful, just going back to Isaiah 9-6, who are we trusting? A wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and prince of peace. He was the stuff before Jesus was even on the earth. <clears throat> and for eternity will be on the throne with these characteristics. And we're just, I just, what I felt this morning as I, I drove over to Great Dan to drop some stuff off for the youth work over there, I was driving back, and I was thinking, how are we going to land this? Because there's lots of emotions that will come up with the idea of being, needing to be strengthened by God. And I was going to potentially pray in groups, but then decided that probably wasn't right to start with, because it's personal. When we talk about relationship with God and being strengthened by a relationship with God, it's personal. It's between us and the Father. 
And if you don't feel like you have a relationship with God this morning anyway, this is an invitation to join in. God is standing here with his hand open saying, hold my hand and come with me. And we're going to walk the rest of the way together. But there will also be a lot of people in the room that have made that decision years and years ago. And I find themselves in a really difficult time right now. And so I wanted to lead us in a response that suits everyone, that will serve everyone. And so I'm going to read out a few promises that John Piper was talking about that he finds helpful. And Stephen's just going to play a song. We're just going to let the song play out for three, four minutes. It's called No One Ever Cares For Me Like Jesus. I listen to this most nights before I sleep. One, because it helps me ground the promises over my life and the character of God. But also, it leads me to reflection on what's happened. And I, just, I feel God is really highlighting the emphasis of relationship within strengthening. And I want to give you an insight into how I've done that. We've looked at how Jesus does it and how David does it. And there's an opportunity for you to go into that. And if, we, if possible, whilst that's happening, can we have the, the acrostic on the screen? Some of you might want to try and work through this in your mind, just pray it out. Some of you might just want to listen to the song, the words are good. But we're just going to have, have three, four minutes doing this. Is that okay? I'm just going to read out. I'm going to read out the promise that John Piper talks about. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold, uphold you with my righteous right hand. to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.